seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to this week's episode of Color of Magic, episode 186, which is crazy to say out loud. But you know what? For 186 episodes, I still got my main man, Brian, with me. How's it going, dude? It is going. Yeah, 186. Is, that is <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, we're, we're trucking well, right along. this running man. thing I have done so far. Hey, we're, we're like almost half, about a half year out from hitting four years. So that's... That's something. Good lord. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you crazy. how many relationships I had that didn't go four years or four months. Well, you know, I, I'm not clingy, but I'm hard to shake. <laughs> that's, that, that sounded creepy. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, man, this, this week is weird because there wasn't like a ton of news, but there was enough interesting things that I think warrant us talking about them. So it should still be a pretty full show here. But before we get into everything... Want to remind everybody, check out our friends over at cardsphere.com, where truly, and I say this genuinely, you can name your price on what you want to buy, sell, trade magic cards for. It's great. Matter of fact, I've been using it pretty actively for the last five or six weeks straight, upgrading all my commander decks, selling a bunch of stuff I don't need. So, like, it's really, really cool. You should check it out over at cardsphere.com. Daquan going to be nothing nice when you run into him at, uh, on this convention circuit. All the decks are going to be firing at a full blast. I mean, I still have like one or two that are just goofy and casual, but I have upgraded a couple of them that are pretty nice now. Like, And it's been almost exclusively, except for maybe one or two trades, through Cardsphere, actually. So, yeah, totally worth it. Also, if you want to support the show directly, you can go over to patreon.com slash color magic, and you can even get a shout out like Carlton Parsons. So thank you for being a supporter. And you can go to colorofmtg.com slash shop if you want to pick up some merchandise and just rep us while you're out and about. But that brings us to the soapbox. And this one... This is just like a general PSA for people that we've got to stop thinking we can all just give advice on everything. Because, man, like, and I know social media has made it to where we all think we have a voice and we all, our opinions all matter. And like, but, man, it's okay to not hit send. Like, there's sometimes you just don't know what you're talking about, myself included. Like, we don't know everything about everything. When somebody posts a question, or at least preface your answer with, Hey, my minimal minimal experience in this is, or I've run into this problem before, or whatever, right? So they at least know how to even measure your feedback. Because there's a lot of hell. I helped somebody earlier today. I said, "Look, you're the medical professional, so you would know better than me. This is just what it looked like when I first looked at it, right?" Saying like, "Hey, I I am not a medical person. You just wanted some feedback on your video. Here's how it came off to me as a layman. That's it." That's all I can contribute, right? I'm not trying to say you need to change all this. You know, this will make it infinitely better. Because, like, I, I wouldn't know, <laughs> right? I, I had some thoughts on uh, Eastern European markets sifting their economy. Can I yeah, exactly, that? right? Like, everybody's a, a political expert when they literally don't even understand. Hell, they don't even know who their own local officers are that they supposedly had on a ballot, right? But yet, they're going to tell you about 
well, you know what we should be doing in Ukraine? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like really? Like, you're just going to know? Like, come on, man. But we see it just too much. When, when people are asking for help on stuff and people just giving their two cents and half the time you know what they're saying is totally not usable. It's like, why did you bother wasting this person's time? Like, they're trying to get real help. You're just going to get them into more trouble. Hell, I, I told you off there, we had somebody who posted on my YouTube stuff the other day about, well, you know what you should do to get more viewers? And literally the thing he's saying shouldn't be there is the thing I changed and views have been better since I've done it. So it's like, this person has no wherewithal, one, of what's even going on on the channel. Speaking of which, if you're going to try to advise somebody, at least get a little bit of background or research or something. Other than Because a lot of times it's like minimal to go like, oh, you're in this background, you're in this part of the country or whatever. So it's easy to understand if your advice applies to them or not. Like, not that difficult. But also, like the person who came and gave advice to me, you go and look up their stuff and it's just like, oh, you don't even have a YouTube channel. Like, you don't even understand about making content on YouTube. But you're going to give me the advice that if I follow you magically, I'm going to get more viewers. All right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's weird that we do that for everything. Hell, and I've seen people talk to people about, like, their cosplay stuff and, you know, their, their game design and this is what you should do better or whatever. And it's just like, fundamentally, those things don't make sense. Like, and a lot of times we're trying to take a thing we like or dislike and make that the advice somebody needs to have. And it's like that those things are not necessarily one and the same. Hell, I've said it before, like there are things that I don't care for or partake in that I have helped to give advice for to make better. Just because it's not for me doesn't mean it's terrible and needs to change drastically. Like you're obviously marketing to a different group of people. That's okay. Like our opinions are not necessarily advice and we need to understand that. And that's hard for a lot of people, but. I, I would almost venture to guess more people have made more bad. Hell, I know a lot of people have made bad decisions because I've talked to retailers that I used to work well. Some of them I still talk to that have been like, well, I have customers that say I should do X, Y, Z. And then you explain why you shouldn't. It's like, why are you listening to that person? Like they're not even one, not even one of your biggest spenders. You've told us before you've had problems with this person. So like, why does their opinion even matter? With this Sarah that last get you're like, she's wrong, but she's loud. And that seems to be throwing you guys yeah, off. <laughs> for real. For real. That's exactly it in a lot of cases. It's just like, cool, it's okay for us to not know about a thing. It's honestly okay for our opinion not to matter on some stuff, too. It's even okay to to do research on something, learn and change the opinion you had before after you have more information. I know what, what a mind blowing concept. Oh, for sure. We we need to do way more of that. And be critical of people that support you as well as people you think are against you. Like we don't do that enough either. Like I think changing those behaviors make this whole other problem a lot less. But yeah, if you're gonna give advice to people really consider like how much advice you're really giving them that you think could be helpful other than just trying to be heard. Cause hell I even know. And I talk a lot. Like there's a lot of times that I've just been like, you know, that one's not for me. And I just walk away or I've started to type a thing on Twitter or whatever. and been like, you know what? Nah, not this time. Just delete it. 
<laughs> like, hell, I ain't gonna lie. My little blue check saved me a couple days ago because, like, I started to post something and I got like a, f- a few extra seconds to delete it before it goes live. And I was like, you know what? Nah, not today. <laughs> like, it just went and deleted it. Right? Sometimes you gotta do the Matt Hardy. <laughs> delete, yeah, like, delete. And it's okay. Like, we don't need to be heard just to be heard. Like, if you're truly helping people, try to help people. But don't just do it because you're trying to interject your opinion or whatever. Make sure it's the thing the person actually needs. That's all I'm saying. It's okay for us to not try to give advice to every single person. And if I could piggyback this with something else, if somebody's asking for real advice, don't take that as a time to go in there and make jokes and post dumb crap and gifts and whatever else. Like, come on. Like, a person is honestly asking for help on something. If you can't help them out, shut up and get out the way. Because you're just wasting everybody's time at that point. Because that person who needs help isn't getting help. And then other people who may be looking through a thread to see, like, what other people have said that they could learn from. Or maybe even, am I just repeating what somebody else said or whatever? You're now wasting their time because they have to scroll past or read your crap that's there that's not helping anybody. So, like, if you genuinely care about the people you follow or listen to or whatever and they're trying to get help, get out the way so they can get help. It's not that hard to do. And honestly, you're not that funny anyway when you're posting a gift that other people have used 50 times in the same week for other crap. Like, you're not even being original. Just saying. I know it's going to hurt some people's feelings, and they're going to sound like... You'll be original and know what they're talking about? God. Exactly. But you you know as well as I do, like, when you've seen that same gift 50 times because somebody's like, oh, you said... I don't know, random word where I get to use this gift finally. Uh, it's like, dude, that's not helping right now. Hell, I can't even count the number of times I've deleted deleted or hidden posts from people who've done that. Because a lot of times I'm like, hey, y'all, I don't know about this thing, but I'm curious, can somebody who has expertise in this help me out, right? Or I have this problem or whatever. And the first two or three responses are just like people making dumb jokes or whatever that was like the obvious low-hanging fruit. And I literally, like, I don't want to be the bad guy. And just be like, yo, idiot, not right now. <laughs> right? Because if it was in person, that's what I'd tell you. Yeah. Like, I'd look you dead in the face and say, wrong time, wrong place, dude. You know, if I could but, reach you, I would hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but on social media, I'm just like, I'll just delete it, hide it, whatever, so I can keep this thread clear so we can have real conversations. Mm-hmm. But, like, those two things, if you do that, we'd all just be better. Seriously. All right. I took too much time there. I'm going to pass this off to you. <laughs> Hey, when you when you when you gotta when you gotta rant, you gotta rant. That that's what we have. And this is a hey, this is almost like a segue because I'm gonna admit I was completely wrong about a couple of things. Major League Baseball changed several rules this offseason. I was, you know, that old funny daddy like, I like the baseball the way it was. You know, in my day, we we didn't have pitch clocks, and actually the games have been far more exciting. The pitch clock especially is a huge thing because we were talking about before the show how uh, you, you would see people batting and, I mean, just a single batter at the plate might take seven or ten minutes, and they've only seen five pitches. <laughs> it's, it's just stepping well, outside the batter's box. I clocked one at six minutes, and it had been eight pitches. Yeah. Step outside the batter's box, knock the dirt off of your cleat, take a timeout, and the pitcher is throwing to first base when – 
when I'm standing there. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's the thing too. The dude on first base don't even look like he's he's only like three feet off the base because he knows he ain't running. But we're still throwing the first base four times. Like, he's having a sandwich. You know, like, we're come just on, dog, like what are we doing? We all know that dude ain't running. Like so, so one of the things that you could only I think throw the throw the first base or technically any base twice, and then if you throw the third time, you gotta pick him off or you're getting called for a balk. And I'm for that, dude. I'm I'm on it. It's not only making the game faster, it has dramatically increased the number of stolen bases and the success rate because really stolen bases to me are up there is every bit as exciting as a home run. Possibly more so because it we're in an era now where especially with let's be honest, the advent of steroids and things, you see so many people hitting 50 home runs. Stolen bases were becoming a thing almost of the past. That's one of the that's one of the reasons they changed these rules because it's an exciting part of the game that we weren't seeing anymore. There was almost no benefit to it. Just stand there and wait for a judge to hit a home run. You know, don't get thrown you, out. You know, you know why stolen bases are exciting though? Like if somebody misses the catch, now it's chaos. Right, because like, now the dude's got to get up off the ground. And he's trying to get to third base, and then like you've got the outfielder trying to come in and see if he can make a bomb throw. Like, think, think, like if they miss, like things just go off the rails fast. Right. <laughs> and then for somebody who's good, you remember Ricky Henderson with people would hate to let Ricky Henderson get on base because he could turn a walk into a triple. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was gross. He was a cheat code. It's like the scene in Major League where the guy tells you, he said, going somewhere? About 90 feet. Yep. <laughs> you know he's going. There's nothing you can do about it because he's not only so fast, he is just so good at knowing when to get a lead. How to t- And you'll turn around. He's almost already standing on second base because he's that good. At Dude, I saw him goes. run when the pitcher threw the ball to first base, and he still got to second. I'm like, that's cold. Because <laughs> you know the first baseman isn't expecting you to keep running. He's like, oh, I got you now. We're gonna do like you told me, we're gonna do the rundown. Okay, that doll. Exactly. Like that's I cold. I, beat like, throw. <laughs> I don't even know what you do. It's just like, damn. All right. He anticipated you were gonna throw the first and just took off running. Like right. there ain't, ain't nothing you can do about that. He has already figured out how <laughs> how long it takes you to throw the ball. He feels like he can beat you. Yep. So, yeah, I got to admit, I was wrong. These are good. Even when they did it, because apparently some of the minor leagues did this to test stuff out. And they said even just the pitch clock. When pitchers that had, that had tested it in the minor leagues, some of them got called up and were playing at the major league level. They're sitting there, God, this game is so boring. <laughs> Why would I just, you, you, once you've. Once the pitch clock is going on, you can't go back to the way baseball used to be. But, dude, if you'd seen stories, people have been having more fun going to minor league games than pro games. Yeah. Now, admittedly, minor league games, depending on where you are in the country, they are off the chain, dude. Like, they've they've got music and dancers, and then there's, like, random, like, things for the audience every three innings or whatever. Like, you know, they're doing stuff to keep people engaged. A good minor league baseball team, it's almost like a nightclub. They figured out how to get people to come in there and and just, you know, do crazy stuff. It's a fun environment, the baseball, because we've seen a lot of games. Some people, minor and major league, some people are just there to show off their cool outfit, to hang out. Eat good food. It almost is an outing. They don't really care who wins. The problem, though, and this is what I've always told people, the best thing that can happen in baseball is nothing. Right? Somebody pitching a no-hitter, no runs, no nothing. And the problem is that just takes forever. 
George yeah. Carla has a great monologue talking about how the most exciting thing in baseball is a no hitter. No one even touched the ball. <laughs> yeah, is it basically it? Right, it's just nothing happening is the best thing. I, but you need that nothing to happen in like two hours instead of three hours. If no, if no action's happening, we need to get this over with. Right, because that's going to make everybody that that more crisp. If you're sitting there in the outfield and it's been two hours <laughs> since you feel the ball, and somebody does hit the ball to you, you're half asleep. Well, the trade-off is like if one team's getting dominated in, say, like football, you're going to get so far ahead. You're just going to be running the ball, running that clock down. Yep. Like you're up by four scores or whatever. Like game's just going to be over, right? We're we're there are ways that we can knock a good 20, 30 minutes off this ball game just by the flow of the game being terrible. We need to get it over with. But you didn't have that in baseball till now. And I yeah, think so great. If, the, if the game's you know, 12 to nothing, you just got to just sit there and just endure the pain. If, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're sitting there, because for what Major League Baseball tickets cost, I'm not leaving early. <laughs> I'm watching all yeah, the baseball I paid for. That's true. Unless you get like those weird deals on like a Tuesday afternoon where it's just like, for twenty extra dollars, you get like yeah. four hot dogs and four drinks or something, well, yeah. or whatever it is. Like some of those specials, I'm like, you know what? I wasn't gonna go to a baseball game, but like hell, we get a cheap lunch and a baseball game, so we might as well just go. You know, I usually do this, and I forgot to do it. I get, uh, next week I'll have an update for y'all on the crazy stadium food at the because the Rangers basically do state fair food at the baseball game. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, you got to have something unique. Yeah. But yeah, man, that's that's I, it's good to hear, you know, that people that are baseball fans finding a way to find like rejuvenate baseball and help them out a little bit. But you know what time it is. We got to talk about what we learned because there was a couple of different things we learned this week that I think are going to make for pretty interesting discussions here. So why don't you kick this off? Yeah, I got the uh, PlayStation Plus premium membership, and it comes with a classic game collection that goes all the way back to, in some cases, PlayStation 1 games, because Sony has you know just that, that incredible catalog from, what, 20-some-odd years of making video games at this point? And yeah. I found out that the cloud saves on, on, uh, for PlayStation are legit. I was going to, you know, I, I never got around to beating Infamous, which you've never played it, is one of the best superhero games ever made. But yeah, I, I never got around to beating it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and, and finish that. And I figured, like, well, I haven't played it in got to be 10 years or more. So I said, okay, I'm obviously starting Infamous over at this point. No, they still got my cloud save from the last time I played the game, which I swear got to be 10, 12 years ago if it's been a day. I was flabbergasted they still had that. See, Man, I you tell me I can get I, on and just have all my crazy taxi stuff saved still? Uh, possibly you're on playstation 3 i guess it's still there that's crazy that's cool though that's cool man and i just wanted and one of the things i mentioned to everybody you know because obviously consoles cost more than they ever have but we're to the point now where if you just get the console you don't even need to buy games anymore for you know the the i think uh, xbox game pass is i want to say 9.99 to basically the price of netflix it comes with i want to say about 200 games out of 200 games you're gonna like probably 10 of them at least and they keep updating it and a lot of times xbox especially is giving you day one releases on xbox game pass hell it's cheaper than netflix now netflix yeah, i think it's netflix like goes 12 up or 14.99 now or something right so it's like hell it's damn near some of the cheapest entertainment you can get 
And I find, you know, it, I guess they probably better better bang for your buck because at least once a month, there's a game I want to play. There's some kind of, there's two or three weeks where I look at Netflix new movies and shows like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> nothing I feel like watching. Occasionally, I'll watch just like a random movie that happens to be on there or like I'm trying to think like comedy special type things because they're they're producing the most new comedy stand ups and yeah. stuff. But that's probably but, it. I'm not watching. Way, we've a got, lot of we've gotten so spoiled. You know, I say there's nothing to watch. They probably they probably put out 200 new things a month. And we grew up with, you know, Channel 3, Channel 6 and yeah. Channel 12. Now we just because whatever you're into, there's probably a whole channel that shows nothing but that. So we just but you know we've what? gotten spoiled. I think about this even in terms of how like YouTube has developed or whatever, right? Initially, we would, and this is for all our different platforms, like we would watch stuff because it kind of was what was available, right? Like we sort of consumed everything in the thing we really like, and now we're just to reruns. So it's like, well, let me go watch this other show that I missed since they're in reruns and I'll just catch up on that or somebody's YouTube channel or Twitch stream or whatever, because it's like, it's interesting enough, even though it's not the person or the thing I like to watch. The problem is now, we live in a world where we only have to watch things we like, right? Like even on Netflix, like every month there'll be two or three things in the genre we like, and we can ignore everything else, <laughs> which is crazy. But I mean, you apply that to Hulu and hell, even regular TV and YouTube and Twitch. And like, you can just find one or two things you enjoy and only watch that for the whole month. Yeah. You can only watch anime, anything, anime, sports, Cooking. If, yeah. if you just if all you want to watch is cooking, you would never have to watch anything else. There's oh, five, oh dude, animals, botany, right? wildlife, whatever, like science stuff. Hell, there's probably one channel channel where animals are cooking. I mean, they just they got everything. Be, honestly, shoot. I mean, who knows? But yeah, it's it's crazy to be in that world. It's I'm not gonna lie. If they had just probably a meerkat network. I probably would just 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 meerkats. Man, meerkat manner. I remember watching way too much of that show. Right, but. One thing I will say is even even in gaming, I would say like a magic is a good example. I watch almost no limited play content at all anymore. Like occasionally if it's somebody I know that has like a cool thing or they, they're mentioned they have a fun video, I'll go watch that. But generally in a, on an average month, I don't watch any. You know, like I don't have to, though, if I just even want to see more standard stuff or see what other people are doing. There's literally like an extra thousand hours that month to watch. I don't have to watch another format. Like that's how specific it is. Even within a game, yeah. There's literally a couple thousand hours of footage every month that I won't ever finish. Which is Overwatch, crazy. I like to do tank and supports. If I just want to learn, hey, what are tanks doing in Overwatch League? Yeah, I could just that that's thousand hours of content easily. Oh, dude, I did it the other day for Team Fight Tactics. I was like having trouble with a certain unit that people were fielding. I guess it's like the new meta. People are trying to do a certain thing. And I was like, okay, well, how do you defend against this? And, you know, go YouTube search or whatever, Google search. And there was like, I don't know, like 15 videos or something. I'm like, oh, God. Like, let me just pick like two or three of them, and I'll just watch these for the next hour, and that's it. You Internet's know? The, the best <laughs> and worst thing in the world for, for just human beings sharing knowledge with each other. Yeah, we literally have access to all of everything in our fingertips. It's supposed to, and it, it, I would say probably in 
60 to 70 percent of cases it does make us smarter but boy that 30 percent like we talked about well you know you got to learn how to discern the difference which right. that's going to be a topic for later here in the show too a little knowledge is a dangerous thing <laughs> for some people yeah but i think if you know what you're looking for and you're trying to educate yourself on stuff man there's information out there yeah. there's so much but coming back to sports for just a second there was a very cool story over last weekend, uh, draft weekend for the NFL, for those of you that didn't know. So basically they do over three days, they draft seven rounds of players and everybody in college or who plays overseas or whatever wants to make themselves eligible for the draft is available. And then if you don't get drafted, there's a whole free agent process or whatever. But there's a player who surprisingly was not drafted in the first five rounds who was exceptional in college. And I believe he's for Kansas State. His name is Deuce Vaughn. I guess you call him Deuce Deuce because he wore number 22, which is a good question because I don't know what number he's going to wear in, with the Cowboys because I think and they Deuce recently a, well, yeah. <laughs> put up Emmett Smith's number, so you can't wear that. But and Deuce is a great running back name. Like, oh, it's great. Really we, we got crushed by the one that was for uh, Philly for a while, Deuce McAllister or whatever. I think it was him. Yeah, he, he was – not friendly. Deuce and Deuce Staley was also a good player in the NFL too. So if you if you just name Deuce in general, I think you have a decent shot in the NFL. But the interesting thing about this guy is all reports say the only reason he likely wasn't even looked at or drafted by a lot of teams is because of his height. If he'd have been four or five inches taller, I think he would have been drafted possibly in the second round. I think he could have gone that high. But I think people looked at him and said, "Oh, this dude's just five five. He's too small. Now, don't be wrong. We've had some small players in the NFL before. I don't think we have any currently. Oh, yeah. Barry Sanders, I think, was only like 5'6 or 5'7. Couldn't get a hand on him. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, dude, that guy. Honestly, and I'm a Cowboys fan. I'll tell you, Barry Sanders is the best running back I've ever watched. He's a human video game. You see, you know, video game highlights will be like, hey, one top 500 player goes against goes against six bronze people. That's what it was like watching Dude, people try to tackle Barry Sanders. I watched him run back and forth laterally along the line of scrimmage, made damn near every defender miss him, and then run for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> like, I mean, it happened, obviously, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. So, I mean, so it, it's not like there isn't precedent for small athletes at the pro level. Hell, Muggsy Bogues, I think, was what five three, and he made an All Star team. So you know, like in the in the NBA. So it's a thing. But the thing that's amazing is this guy's stats led the college the the top level of college football for most all purpose yards. He had almost two thousand all purpose yards between rushing and receiving, which is crazy. Had a ton of touchdowns. Played in one of the Power Five conferences, so it wasn't like he was playing against nobodies every week. And somehow just couldn't get drafted. And and the cool story to all of this is that his father happens to be a scout for the Dallas Cowboys. And the team, apparently, and he he was always trying to be professional. He And there was a follow-up interview he did after this. I just saw it this morning, actually. Or no, it was late last night, where... He even said he was purposely trying not to talk about his son, you know, doing whatever he could because he didn't want to taint anything. He, if it happened, he wanted to be a professional and let it just happen. And what's cool is the team apparently also took that out of his hands. Like they didn't, anytime they discussed 
his son, they didn't even involve him in the discussion. Now, the messed up part, the way the story goes, is they already, when they decided they were going to draft him, uh, the elder Vaughn came into the room because he was outside doing something else. And they started asking him his opinion on some other players they might draft, right? And he said, even in his head, he's like, this doesn't even make sense. My boy is actually like the best player left on our board. I don't know why we wouldn't draft him, but you know, I'm a professional. You ask me about these dudes. I'm going to give you the pros and the cons, whatever, why we could use them. Why not? Cause his job is an actual scout. This is what he does for a living. And then when they decided they were going to, they handed him the card to go hand in to the commissioner to say, Hey, we're drafting your son or whatever. And then he just had a breakdown and it was like the coolest thing, you know? And, and then he got to do the call to his son, which was even better. Cause he just said, Hey son, you know, how would you feel about coming to work with me tomorrow? <laughs> right. I was like, that's just cool, you know, like cool moment. But I really I, and the reason I bring this guy up is I am pulling for this kid so badly. I think he, I, so many people are at this point. I mean, it, I know like, a lot I, of people feel like the Cowboys or like the Yankees, you know, yeah. like kind of the evil empire, but still, it's just a great story. But this guy, I like, I, I feel like I just relate too much, right? Like you just had to go through so damn much to constantly prove yourself at every single level. And now people are going like, well, yeah, his numbers are good, but he's too small. Like, you know what I mean? Like after all that, it's just like, yeah. ah, but you're still too small. Like really though? Like he outdid all these other players that played in the same leagues Hell, some of them yeah. played in the same conference he played in. Right, He was short in college, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Against all the same players. But you're telling me, even though he exceeded every single thing those dudes did that you drafted for five rounds, he's still not good enough. Like, he at least deserves a shot. Now, will he make the team? You know, will he get playing time? Who knows? There's a lot of variables, obviously. But I'm hoping this dude proves everybody wrong, has a great career. And just say, like, man, at some point, you have to just look at people's credentials and just say, if like, we did, if we didn't already know, and, you know, you can see a whole bunch of YouTube videos of Bill Kuyper saying, oh, yeah, Ryan Leafs going to be the best quarterback you've ever seen and so on. It's it's not a science. It's not an art. It really is just educated guessing. Because every year they have somebody that sits in the draft room too long and it's horrible for that kid and his family. It's horrible for the NFL. So this year they really investigated. They said they were talking to teams, you know, behind the scenes. I was like, okay, hey, you know, we need to know. So we need, so we can know who we need to invite to Kansas City and put him on TV. And even after doing all that, there were still like poor Will Levis still had to sit there. All night. Oh, yeah. On like, Thursday night. It was still awkward. And there are people saying he's going to be the first quarterback off of the board. Dude, but you know what? Credit to that dude because he came back on the next day. And people were wondering, like, do you even come back for day two? After yeah, you sat why not? There all he, I think he was one of two people that came back for the second day that were invited on the first day and didn't get drafted. Because just how embarrassing would it be if you sit there for all the whole thing and don't get drafted? Yeah, yeah that's it would just be, and and again, you've been sitting there on camera for three days. That's what that's what I think a lot of people would have been scared of at that point. But like I said, my my thing is, if somebody is putting in the work, and they are, I mean, this dude, this kid has great credentials, even, and not only that, he comes from a family that knows football. On top of it, right? So it's like. He has every single thing, and you're just going to be like, yeah, but he's too short. Like the same way that Drew Brees was too short, and and 
what's his name? Michael Vick ran too much. And hell, one of the other quarterbacks, they were talking about his hands are too small or, you know, like all these ridiculous things. And it's just like, yeah, but they've always been that way. And yet they've always excelled. So like, sometimes you just got to say like, I get what our like preconceived notions are about things, but we also have to look at facts a lot of the times. And if people are able to break the mold and be different and still succeed with whatever, you know, I'll use the term lightly, shortcomings we think they have, well, maybe they just are that good at what they do. I think I think this is the thing we have to consider sometimes. So I'm I'm pulling for this. I don't think I've ever pulled for a rookie new player in a draft harder than a dude like because I'm like, I remember watching a couple of games I do played in. I'm like, this kid's nice. You know, right? And then you find out, like, I because I hadn't been following the draft heavy. I watch, like, the part of the first round or whatever. And then, you know, I tune in on, on Saturday or whatever. And I'm like, this kid's still undrafted? <laughs> like, like what? So, great pick if it works. And they're going to have a great running back that they don't have to play squat hardly for three years. So, hope, hope he makes you let him go because that's how running backs yeah. die after about three years. Man, what they I hope doing. he makes everybody regret not drafting him. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about some uh, news things here. One of the big things is, you know, as things continue to unfold about this March of the Machines aftermath for Magic is that uh, it's just so confusing to everybody. I think we all knew, like they told us, hey, this is going to be a small set. We're going to do it in five card boosters. There's not going to be any commons, blah, 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 blah. Right. Which on the surface is kind of cool. It's okay to try some different packaging or whatever. I think what started to bother people over the last week is realizing that, one, the pack price didn't really come down, even though you're getting fewer cards. Now, admittedly, they're the junk cards you don't really want most of the time, so, I mean, I I guess. But it does feel weird. Also, you can't really draft it, unless you're going to do, like, nine packs instead of three packs or whatever, so you have enough cards to draft with, I guess. As, as, as I've discussed multiple times right here, I play for the janky cards. That's what, what I'm here for. Is at, the, at the start of every set, is there a dumb win condition? Is there some ridiculous thing that probably only works one out of ten times? Those are the cards I live for. So yeah, I'm upset if I'm going to buy a pack that doesn't have those cards in it. Yeah, so it's weird. It's weird. I, I don't like... Again, Try it, see if it works, whatever, fine. But we know you can't draft it, and it's only a 50-card set. So then it gets more weird when you're like, okay, but there's going to be a collector's booster box for it. It's like, but there's only 50 cards in the set, so you're paying a high dollar value to get a bunch of repeats because it's so small. Which, on the one hand, I mean, I guess if you're trying to get like foil versions of everything, you'll be close to a set. After you open a box, maybe, you know, randomness. So maybe you're three or four cards short or whatever. Like, maybe that's an appeal. But it's just a weird approach. I even saw, like, I I think, I'm going to double check. I'm in front of a computer here. But, like, I think they were doing bundles as well. And that's kind of weird in the sense that bundles come with normally, I think, eight or ten booster packs. And if you're just going to open a bunch of repeats... That's kind of weird, too. Like, that's going to be a weird taste in people's mouths, especially for the casual player that doesn't know. Because, again, we've talked about this before. You think everybody's informed. A lot of players aren't informed, right? They just, they're just going to see, like, oh, a new Magic set. And they're going to open up and be like, well, that's weird. I only got five cards in my booster pack. 
And then they're going to open up their other packs and be like, oh, there's a bunch of repeats in these. Like, this is awkward. So I, I don't really understand why we're going to that length. I, I think for me, the best execution of this would have been go ahead and have boosters and or some type of prepackaged thing, right? Like maybe you could have got two commander decks that between them had the 50 cards in them or I don't know, maybe a box set you just buy. You know, like like we did, like you used to do for sports cards. You could get the, uh, what do we call the complete set boxes or whatever? The wax boxes or whatever. You could just pick that up. No, that was for boosters. I don't remember what you call that. But, like, just, hey, you could pay whatever, make up a number. You could pay $200, you can get all 50 cards or something. All right, cool. That could have been a thing. Like, to me, this would have been the opportunity to try new types of packaging. Or new types of release, right? Or even you do... 25 of the cards, maybe that relate to Phyrexians in one pile, and then the others that relate to the non-Phyrexians in another pile, and people could buy those as two separate sets, or whatever. I think there were way more ways you could have marketed this, still made a bunch of money, but just treated it differently and try something you hadn't tried before. But instead, it's like, okay, we got this weird booster, and then we're still going to try to put it into all these other products we normally do, when it really just doesn't fit those formats. And on top of that, you're trying to pile it up with like previews being out and people already having spoilers being out. We just started getting previews this week and people already having a weird taste in their mouth about it to where like if it fails now. It's almost unfortunate because a five card booster pack may still have a place if they have a cool idea for a small set that doesn't fill out 300 cards or whatever. But we didn't really explore cool ways to distribute it. So this is just, I bet, in-house, just going to be looked at as a failure if it doesn't sell well, when in the reality is, I don't think it's the idea of a small 50-card set that's a problem. It's the distribution of it that's the problem. And that's tough. Sometimes it takes, you know, more than one more than one try and a new idea for it to get, for you to get it right, basically. Yeah, but sadly, too many companies just don't give it that kind of time. Like... You'll get the failed effort and be like, okay, that's it. We're never doing that again. We can't afford to have a thing be our our worst selling thing, you know, whatever. Or the opposite, a thing goes well once and they're like, okay, we got to do this five more times. And then you're like, okay, well, now we don't really want it anymore. You know, right? It was cool the first time because it was new and different, whatever. Now we're kind of burnt out on it. Remember the I didn't do it, boy. I got old really fast. Yeah, basically, you know. So, yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, because I think the product itself is fine. Matter of fact, even some of the cards that have been previewed, I think are going to be very highly played. I think there's, I think I saw five or six alone today that I'm like, oh yeah, totally can think of places for all these cards in multiple formats. So I don't think it's the cards themselves that are the issue. I think it's everything else around them and how to acquire them. That's the problem. You're asking somebody to buy an already what's going to be viewed as a more expensive booster because per card, you're obviously spending more or these traditional methods of like collectors, boosters, uh, bundles, you know, that type of thing. When the experience is just going to feel so much worse. If anything, you might risk people not wanting to buy those other products again because they're going to not have the right perception of those products. Right? Like somebody goes out of their way and buys a couple of, let's say they just go into Walmart or target and buy a couple of, uh, uh, just collector's boosters off the shelf 
and then they don't understand why the packs are so small or why there's not a whole lot of variety in the packs or whatever. They're not, they may not want to buy those anymore. Right. Because they don't understand like, oh, this was a smaller set, you know, whatever. They just go like, ah, these were a terrible experience. Same thing with bundles. Right. That might just be a thing that they just go like, ah, I don't want to buy these anymore. I'm just going to maybe just buy boosters or something. So it is a thing. It is a thing. It'd be interesting to see, you know, maybe address this a year from now and kind of see what opinions are. But I will say there is another part to this that sometimes if a thing is less popular. It could be the thing to buy and sit on for a little bit. Like, I hate putting that out there, but it is true, right? With all types of games, collectibles, action figures, whatever. The things that end up being less popular and are the bad sellers sometimes become the more collectible things later because there's less sealed of those things out in the world. So do with that what you will. I just think it's an unfortunate thing where we're at with this whole aftermath thing because I think it had potential, I just think we're going to fall way short of the mark. But anyway, let's talk about uh, Storybook Brawl. Unfortunately, we got to pour a little something out on the curve. Yeah, it's you can pour one out for your homies, man, because uh, we sort of all saw this coming. I think once the news came out about the whole crypto situation and you knew that was some of their major backing, or at least the people involved were some of their major backers. There was no way without them being sold quickly and getting new management or whatever that it was going to happen. And when I think when we saw no news, we kind of knew. Yeah. So unfortunate because yeah. a lot of times when a scandal breaks, you know, you get painted with the bad brush. And as far as we know, nobody at Storybook Brawl had any idea that anything untoward was happening. Yeah, and we we talked about it before. I mean, I feel like had I been in their shoes, I probably would have made similar decisions. Yeah. Because Tom Brady said it seems legit. <laughs> Steph Curry said it seems legit. You, you know, make, making uh, auto chess. I mean, well, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's try it. Yeah, and that was sort of my thing. It was just like all the obvious things you would have checked – would have cleared any concerns you had barring again maybe you go deep and like let me check your sec filings and let me check this and like rarely do people go that far for anything and, and you'd have figured like tom brady or steph probably already did that or had somebody do that well yeah they got they're invested in multiple businesses and they got people that have people you know what i mean like so you would think if it was good for hell not just that there was a couple other big companies involved and the these people had scammed so many folks and it just sucks they were caught up in it and it just sounds like there was no real legal recovery for them yeah or if there is it's just going to take too long that you can't sustain operating the game and the company between now and then i was trying to look back at all the stuff that i've covered i remember obviously you know companies having to go bankrupt companies you know the company that owns the video game or card game company going bankrupt this is one of the the rare cases where it seems like somebody just you know your owner was an outright criminal you just don't see that you see scandals break out you see hey like maybe somebody somebody on the board maybe didn't pay their taxes or something, which is it, but this is like one of the I, all the time I can remember saying, like, hey, everybody that was financing this was apparently a criminal. <laughs> just, 
Yeah, and you know, the stories are out there, so I'm not going to rehash it too much, but I mean, the level these folks went through to keep their stuff presentable was pretty exceptional. And you would have to to fool people like the SEC, yeah, celebrities and other extremely rich people. Until it obviously hit the point that, you know, they ended up caught chasing their own tail after a point and it just ran them down, but what eventually happens with all kind of Ponzi schemes at some point you have to write a check and you no longer have the money to write the check. And then that's when the dominoes fall. But yeah, that's a tough one, man, because the game actually was good. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the other thing too. If it had been a game that everybody kind of went, eh, whatever, but it was entertaining. It was a unique premise, which was fun. It was very simple to learn, which was cool. There falls under that, you know, easy to learn, but hard to master. Yeah. And it felt like the games were balanced, so their ladder and ranking stuff was pretty good. Like, yeah, just one of those ones. I think it would have been fun to have that game succeed. They were they were already setting up for a tournament series and whatnot, and just, man, just going nowhere. We were talking about this before the show. It's been, I hate to say it, it's May. It's been a brutal year for games. And yeah, I know we're not even halfway through, but there, I was looking at Kotaku before we got on, apparently... 36 games have already gone down the drain this year. And again, we're not even halfway through yet. And, you know, my belief has been for a while that I get that the best way to make money with games is through microtransactions. And that involves you having to have some online component or whatever. But it's also the hardest to maintain, create and sustain, you know. And I think more studios, especially if you're small. And you don't have like, you know, the the venture capital money or whatever behind you. I'd be focusing on smaller stuff. I mean, we still, hell. The problem is we're seeing so many single player games drop and not sell. Yeah, but but I'm also thinking, you know, if you are going to do an online thing, the more simple and the wider broad appeal helps a lot. When you have something like... uh, I don't know. Among Us is a good example. Yeah. Right. Like doesn't require a ton of servers, but hell it did once it blew up and they had to go get more servers. Yeah. But by then you're making more money. So you don't really care. And it took right. what two or three years for that to catch. Oh, yeah, it was like Sadly, three years. A lot of these companies don't have two or three years. I mean, especially if you're, if you're backed by a major publisher and it didn't instantly a hit. You're, but again, because it was so small and simple and whatever, it was easy for them to maintain during right. that slow time. You know, there's other games too. We were talking about like uh I think it's called Don't Starve. If you've yeah. never seen that game, like it's almost like you're playing these weird caricatures of people kind of in the woods and trying to fight off spiders and you know, survive or whatever. Kind of it's it's both kind of gothicy but also kind of cutesy. You know, so the only way I describe the look. But that's another one that doesn't require a lot and it's got a loyal fan base and they can make a bunch of money. And they've got, I think, two different sequels or spinoffs from that game. And from a streaming standpoint, it's fun to watch somebody yeah. play because so many random things happen to you. But I think so often we get caught up in these like, oh, we got to make this game that's got high graphics and it's got this crazy engine underneath and it's got to have this big online competitive thing and it's got you know all these things. And it's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, how do we convince somebody to come play it? We need more bombast. Well, you know, you and I both talk about this. Like, it's the biggest thing isn't even your game being good. It's how do you convince people to give you the time? Right? Because right now we have tons of great games on the market. 
I just talked about how, you know, I spent most of my gaming time today playing a game from that's probably 15 years old or more. So. Yeah. Like, you, so you didn't that even try a new thing. game. You went back to an old game. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing that, you know, you do have to compete with. Because some of these, I mean, classics are classics. There, there ain't anything wrong with, you know, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. But not just that, but think about how many legacy products are out there that people spend a lot on. We're talking about like Smash Brothers and Call of mm-hmm. Duty and Madden and whatever, right? Like these games are guaranteed to sell tens of millions every year. We have had, you know, just in the past year, two people come at the king in terms of Smash Bros. And it appears both of them missed. Yeah, basically. I mean, like that's why the saying is what it is, right? If you're going to come to the king, you best not miss. Because, man, the downfall is going to be awful. But that's what keeps happening. And I get it. Like, you want to do the thing that's popular and you want to succeed and whatever. But at some point, you know, you got to do the simpler thing or whatever and build your brand or whatever. And that's the thing that made me saddest for Storybook Brawl is that they were doing the thing that's simpler and different and whatever. And you're like, even when I played it, I'm like, man, you know, I could see this game being around for a bit. You know, I really had that thought of like, even if I don't play this regularly, this is a game I feel like I can come back to every once in a while, enjoy a few games, goof around with it. They don't need a crazy amount of stuff here. But turns out when your guy who invests in you is a straight up criminal and then doesn't actually have the money he said he had. Well, there goes the whole project. And it sucks because I don't fault anybody on that from the developer, designers, you know, everything felt like the right thing. You just bad I situation. So because you know, they're just getting tarred with that same brush. They had to have known. Like, there's no way they had to have known. That's no. how. That's how these schemes work. Is con artists are really good at conning people. People say that, right? But a lot of those same people, if they really thought about it, how many times have you had a relative take advantage of you? Mm-hmm. How many times have you found out something crazy about a neighbor that you didn't know? Or somebody you went to school with, hell, from kindergarten to to senior year, and then you find out something crazy you never knew about them, right? Like, oh, you're well, you should have known. I knew they were crooked. Okay, why didn't you go to the New York? Exactly. Doctor? Like, you, you should have known. Hey, if you had known that they were crooked and you had proof that they were crooked, and I would argue, in any of those scenarios, you're going to know that person way more intimately than they're going to know somebody who's coming to invest in their company. Yeah. So how are they supposed to just know that when these people literally defrauded billionaires? Not millionaires, you can, billionaires. You can have a job for the SEC, working for the SEC or heck, FBI if you knew for a fact they were corrupt and you could have proven it before the whole house of cards came down. Yeah, and the worst part is there are a lot of people that lost jobs over that. Yep. You know, not not even just from the storybook brawl crew, but from from multiple angles. And, like, that's the stuff that sucks the most about this. Even if this, you know, the three or four people involved go to jail and whatever and pay some amount of restitution, like, you're not going to be able to make everybody whole from all the businesses and jobs and retirement plans and whatever else that you just destroyed. Like, it's terrible that it got that far. So, you know, just pour one out for Storybook Brawl. Hopefully, I don't know, maybe we'll get lucky and somebody revive the license at some point or somebody sees what they did. And uses that as a blueprint to make some other similar style game or whatever down the road. Because I think there was a lot of promise there. I really do. I mean, having messed with it a bit and the more and the updates and the characters they added were neat. Like just 
so many things were going the right way, and it's just sad to see that. That's, any game where you can have, you know, evil zombie Snow White fighting Count Dracula is just, or, or whatever they call Count Dracula, but it's obviously Count Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pulling for him in the long run, but it may just be one that's, that's going to go the way of the Dodo, sadly. One of the things I want to talk about is by the time people are listening to this, they might be actually at MagicCon Minneapolis or on their way there. You betcha. <laughs> the cool thing about it, though, is we're still continuing to see the evolution of these conventions. You know, and, and I kind of wanted to, like, well, I remember when I mentioned, you know, Vegas being so different when they did Magic 30 to, to Grand Prix or whatever. They went a whole different direction. And it was cool. And then we saw the next one, and it was like, okay, they're adding some stuff for like the pro tour to have a cool little space and everything. If you want to go watch it. All right, cool. This is neat. And it's like, Oh, we're adding some stuff for the cosplayers and building that up a little bit. And it's like, cool. With each event, you're kind of seeing some things come along and this is starting to like develop into a thing. This time they're taking it a step further and they're adding a creator corner. So different creators that they've reached out to can show up. They can, Display the things they're good at. You know, they can sell merchandise, all that. And they're adding an MTG Arena area. So from what I can tell, that's going to be people that either work directly with them in their arena channel or have done the early access stuff and you're known enough for doing regular arena content that they're inviting you to pick times. And I believe you can pick like an hour at a time to come in, play against fans, you know, just be presentable to people who play arena and maybe are interested, want to meet you. You can socialize with other creators that are there, but it's neat because you're saying, okay, we're acknowledging now, even that arena is part of this, that these other creators that you may not know are part of this whole ecosystem or whatever. And it's one more thing getting added to the shows to bring in even more players, get more creators involved. As much as people have issues with read pop, cause they run a lot of nerd conventions I think they're getting it right on magic slowly, but surely but I'd rather it be slow than all at once. Yeah. So, that's the, the most important thing. It's better to, it's kind of better to undershoot or as we say, like under promise and over deliver. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people want everything all at once, but the reality is, you know, even take something like the command zone, right? They tried out a thing after two events went, you know what? This really ain't cutting it. We're just going to make this a free thing and we'll give benefits to people in other ways. And it worked. And now everybody's happy with it, right? Like they tried a thing, gave it a couple iterations, didn't work. Cool. We're going to go a different direction. And just keep doing that and keep finding things, keep adding stuff. And you're not doing a thing to where it ends up being undermanaged or whatever. It's like, now that you know all these other things work, it's okay, let's bring in a couple more people and they can manage these new creator areas. And that's what they're there for. They're the point of contact, whatever. Great. Let's do that. Right. And then you do the next thing and you do the next thing. So when we get another year or two down the road, we now have this fully fleshed out convention that travels around the country, around the world, actually, because there's going to be one in, I think, Spain, actually in Barcelona or something oh, wow. in, in a couple months. But the fact that you have these traveling now and you have a thing that said, we know we can do all of these things at every show now and we can take care of all these players and it's perfected, and this is what you want. And if it is a two- or three-year iteration, I think that's fine. As long as we're doing it right as we do it. And this is cool. I even saw, like, the merch store 
has a bunch of new stuff in it with some cool designs that aren't just like, hey, look, it's a piece of magic art on a thing. There's some throwback stuff. There's some things that look almost like normal, what I call normal shirts. But like if you stare at them, you can see sort of magic designs within them or whatever. So like they're figuring it out. And I, I this is more of just like got to give credit where it's due sort of a thing. Like if you've been wanting them to add more stuff, kind of just keep your eyes on the conventions because it looks like they are slowly but surely adding more things. And I think that's a good thing. We're, we're getting there the right way. But there was another game you want to tell us about that's not doing so well? Yeah, uh, Redfall was a highly anticipated game, kind of a vampire loot shooter from Arcane, the studio famous for games such as Dishonored, Prey. This is going to be really the first big game they put out since uh, Microsoft came in and purchased their parent company, Zenimax, and all the various studios under that. And as we've talked about on here, Xbox is in need of some good exclusives. And so far, the reviews are in, and apparently Redfall ain't one of them. The reviews so far have been brutal. And of course, now the attention is going on. Well, you know, this is the first game they've put out since Microsoft bought them. Did they have enough time to do it? Were there too many cooks in the kitchen? What went wrong here? I already see headlines or some people are calling it Arcane's Anthem, which you remember Anthem, that was a complete and total disaster for EA a little of a couple of years ago now. So yeah, it's not the not, not the kind of game you want to be sharing headlines with, unfortunately. You know what's wild is like the premise just sounds like a bit of a reach to me. And I don't know if other people feel that way or not. But I maybe mean, I think if, if it was done well, people, you know, the success of games such as Left 4 Dead shows that, hey, a supernatural loot shooter is a thing that can work. But it's just, you know. But even Left 4 Dead, I've talked about that before, where, like, the original was just some of you get to play zombies, some of you get to pe- play the people hunting the zombies, go have fun. The second one, when they added, like, more traditional first-person shooter elements, ended up immediately being less popular. So like I don't I don't know. But that said, people are still playing both of those games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They still get played, but you know, zombies have reach apparently. <laughs> like there's I so think, much had, zombie had, product. Had this game been good? Is it, it, it ain't even you know they just said it's you know we we've seen shooters before because yeah we've seen Call of Duty before, but if you make a good shooter, people play it. This game just apparently isn't good. It's buggy. It doesn't function well, which. For Arcane is unheard of. Usually their games are phenomenal. Now, admittedly, loot shooters are not traditionally what they do. It's just nothing people are, you know, calling out. Yeah, that's a tough one, too, because when even if the game is good, bad, whatever, if it just doesn't even function right out of out of the box, that's tough. Yeah, that's not a great experience. And, and again, for the, the, their pedigree is they've made some of the most well-received and innovative games in the industry. So it's just, I guess everybody, you know, everybody swings and misses from time to time. It's just unfortunate that this happened at such a high-profile time when this is, you know, when Microsoft had a lot of money riding on this and is probably not going to make it back. And, you know, and I think that's another thing, too. If, if there is blame to be placed on Microsoft, And they knew this was like the, I wouldn't say the Hail Mary, but like your big play for this generation. You should have put more attention into it. 
right? If that meant it had to be pushed back another three, four, six months, whatever, probably should have done it, right? Because you're using this as a statement piece. And to let that out the door like that just seems rough. Uh, that's a tough one, man. Especially for a studio that everybody likes. <laughs> that, and the that problem with Xbox having exclusives, you know, it's, <laughs> it's getting worse, not better. Well, not a lot you can do about it. Like I said, they obviously weren't putting the attention into it. But kind of how we alluded to earlier in the show, we wanted to talk a little bit about Kind of, well, the question really is just, how do we feel about AI being used for content? And I think we both feel a lot of different ways about it. (laughs) I I think there's so much gray area. And I think it's hard because, you know, like we talked about before, right now is the worst it's going to be. Right? It's only ever going to be better than it is right now. Technology gets uh, cheaper all the time and (laughs) and more efficient all the time. So to try to predict what we could even do or what people do, it's kind of difficult. But I do think there are some positive elements, right? Like if you just end up with like writer's block and you just need some help figuring a thing out or concepting a thing of like what would be interesting or how a background should look or whatever like you can use ai to at least get your mind jump started and the 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 negative with that is i'm all i'm in a woman well, in a number of writing forums but one of them somebody already said they turned a piece in and they got fired because their boss alleges that ai wrote this you that, i don't believe you wrote this a robot wrote this yeah, see, that was that was the thing I was going to bring up too. Like, because now people know that there are, you know, it started kind of innocuously. Like, for example, one of the fantasy leagues I'm in, they, you know, they, they're not going to pay for an actual writer to come in and write about your fantasy football game that didn't happen in real life. But they have a robot that does it, and I mean, I've read worse copy. I hate to say, oh, yeah, it, I've, you know, I've read worse copy on the front page of newspapers. So, well, dude, one of the leagues we're in, they've been doing that for like five years. Yeah, you know, and then granted, that's very low level AI, but like, it's been decent. But and, I mean, I'm probably as guilty as anybody. Sports writers, you know, use a lot of the same cliches. Yep. So you know, once you <laughs> once you know what they are, it becomes a lot easier to push a button. And okay, somebody got 200 yards. We use this cliche. Somebody got 150. This is the idiom we use. You know, it's just you know, I think it goes. A bit beyond that, though, for a lot of people, you know, like, uh, you know, seeing the the stuff where they're trying to replicate musicians, right? That becomes a bit problematic because now you're risking doing damage to somebody's livelihood and their brand, you know, because not everybody's going to be in the know of Drake or Rihanna or whoever putting out a new album or not. They're just going to go like, oh, that sounds neat. You know, right? And I'm into this yeah, person. A lot of people That's just cool. are going to enjoy the song. They don't, you know, yeah. they don't care if Drake got paid. They're assuming he did or again, they really don't care. <laughs> Drake's now, rich already. It doesn't bother them. I will say, if you listen hard to them and you're an actual fan, you can tell it's not them. But man, it's not awful. It's yeah, real close. I mean, your average, when, when you're dancing at the club, like, are you going to care? That's what, that's, 
The, the industry doesn't know yet. That's the scary part. Somebody did, I guess, a whole like Joe Rogan <laughs> podcast or show that he was in no way involved in. And well, you yeah. know, I, I a lot of people don't. I wish I remembered the comedians that are doing it, but there's two comedians that have a podcast and they signed with a studio that does machine learning for AI stuff. And the idea was from watching them and their mannerisms and the stuff they reference that the machine can learn to put together pop culture references and whatever to assemble jokes. And a couple months ago after Tom Brady decided he was going to officially retire or whatever, they did the AI test of putting together, it was like 40 or 60 minutes. It was long and you can look it up on YouTube, but it was the AI did a set, basically a comedic stand-up set as Tom Brady, <laughs> the football player. And it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't great, There, but there was a couple of funny jokes in there. You know, use some harsh language because it learned from the comedians that it's it's learning from. But the interesting thing was there was still missing a lot of human element. Right. It doesn't understand timing or how to wait for applause or the reaction you're supposed to get or whatever. So it was kind of just tell a joke, beat, tell a joke, beat, tell a joke, beat. Right. For like however long it was, you know, damn near an hour or whatever. And I think that's the thing. Right. It's I'm seeing some people that I've tried to help on one of my discords. They're trying to use AI to do full YouTube channels like do the art, the thumbnails, write the scripts do the voiceovers, you know, even the images or stock footage or whatever. But the problem is you're getting to the point now that so many people are trying to do it that they just, I'm trying, they're just, they just feel sterile. That's the best word I have. And I think that's hard for people to understand. Like I, I would say you probably will stand out more by not being so AI heavy in a lot of ways in the future. Because when people come and the most recent example I have on top of my head is somebody did a channel and it was about animals, particularly about birds, if I remember right. But every video, I just kind of kept feeling like, well, you're mostly just giving me generic facts, right? Like, but I kind of curious about, well, you live in this part of the country. What birds do better or worse there? Does you having long or short winters or summers or whatever matter to the animals or whatever, right? Those are the reasons people are going to watch your stuff or consume it. Right. At the end of the day, it's like what it's kind of like when I'm looking like I was going to buy a, a Pixel 7 right? I was getting a new phone. I'm going to looking at reviews and everyone that was mostly just like AI generated. It's like, well, you're just telling me all the generic facts I can just look up online anyway. But if I go watch like an MKBHD, he's let me know, like, OK, well, let's say you can't charge for a day or whatever. How long will it hold the charge? And like with normal usage, if you pair it with like a smartwatch and it's doing your heart rate while you sleep, what does that do to your battery? Like stuff like that. I'm like, okay, because it's a person using it for personal things, they're still able to fill in gaps that AI is just not going to be able to do because they're just not going to have those personal experiences. And that's why I think if you're doing stuff that truly can benefit from a personal touch, I think you're going to be fine. I think if you're doing a thing that doesn't matter from a personal touch, then it's going to be a lot harder to compete with just fully AI developed tools, which is going to be tough. But I think the tools can benefit you a lot, even if you are doing personal things. 
I just think we've gotten to the point of we're thinking about it, just replacing everything. And it's like, ah, but if you understand it, you can also use it to your advantage. I mean, even yeah, now. I one of the best examples right now is the president's play. I mean, that that is hilarious. And you, I mean, it would be hard for anybody to impersonate those three guys as well and then still get a script written and play video games and put all those things together. Yeah, and to me, that's a good example, right? Like, coming up with a scenario that's relatable, but so absurd that it would never happen. And then playing it up, right? Because nobody's going to confuse the fact that, like, Obama, Biden, and and Trump are actually playing Call of Duty. Yeah. Right? Like, we know that's not a thing. So there's no harm being done to anybody. It's just funny. Almost as if, like, you had two or three comedians just doing impersonations and doing a skit. And, like, that's entertaining. It gets a lot of views. It's good for a laugh for, like, two or three minutes. That, to me, is one of the best uses of AI. Because you created a thing that in no way, shape, or form would have ever been created. Nobody's going to confuse it for anything. There's no harm being done to anybody. But it's really funny. Right? And that person's going to get rich for probably the next whole year. Just making content of them playing Call of Duty and random online games or whatever. Yeah. Insert game here. So I, I think that's good stuff. So I don't... I don't have a problem with AI as a whole. I just think, unfortunately, because we're in the U.S., we're always the last to make rules around technology. So some more people will be harmed than necessary in the lead up to us getting our laws and rules solidified. But really, I think in the long run, I think personalized content still just going to have a place. As a matter of fact, like I said, I think it might have more of a place three to five years from now than it even does today. Because so many people will be relying on those, I guess what we call impersonal tools to create their content. Because there's, it's amazing the number of people that want to be both faceless and voiceless on their channels. And to me, you're taking away the best thing that can make you relatable. Just the human element. And on top of that, you take away some of your branding opportunities. Right? Because you can't do fun branded promotional things for people you can't be invited out to a show to help promote a thing because who's gonna care if they don't even know what you look like or what you sound like right so i don't know like i said i don't have a problem with ai i just think we have to be careful with how it's used but i think there's a lot of positives to it as well point to everybody where they can find you on the social media machines brian Right. I am Brian Sonic on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Our family channel on YouTube is Alan's Ever After. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And uh, all over the internet doing magic stuff, because there's a lot of things coming up in May and June that I'll be talking about soon. But as always, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please remember to take care of yourselves and your family. And most importantly, remember to be awesome but be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate under patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at colorofmtg. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 